Romans, the eighth chapter. One of my all-time favorite chapters. Romans chapter 8. It begins with one of the greatest verses that you will ever memorize and ever quote to yourself in your journey. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ. Amen. What a powerful promise. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit and it just gets as one old time preacher used to say gooder and gooder every verse everything it just goes deeper and deeper some of the most encouraging words that I have ever found in scripture you'll find in Romans chapter 8 you ought to go to it quite often Verse 28, we're all familiar with that. And we know, everybody say, and we know. Come on, let's say it. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. All things work together for them that love God. To them who are the call according to His purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. My, what a, what a promise. And then verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? He, he goes all the way back up to verse 28 and catches a word that he has used there. Things. Everybody say things. And we know that all things work together. He goes back and picks up on that thought and he asks the question, what shall we then say to these things? Everybody said amen. I'm not going to finish it because you already have. Somebody tell me, what shall we say to these things? All right. God bless you. You may be seated. I don't know anybody, and I mean that as conscientiously as I can say it, I, I don't know anybody in life that doesn't have a bunch of stuff going on. If you know anybody, would you please bring them to me and introduce me to them? I, I need to talk to them about what life is like without stuff.
things. I've talked to you a little bit about them before, but I want to go back again tonight. In, in Paul's writing to the New Testament believer, he is simply trying to make you aware of the, the life that you are endeavoring to live and all the stuff that's going on in your life is not lost to God. God is very well aware and he knows all that's going on in your life right now. But Paul mentions things here, and later on he will even go further and specify things in a, in a different light. Down in verse 38, he talks about present things. And by that, I, I believe, and the scholars here tonight, he can correct me when I get through, or, but I think I understand what things he's talking about. I believe that Paul is talking about the events of the day, the, the, the things of my life, the trials the task, the duties, the multitude of pressures that come and go in the everyday living of life. And Paul said that you have to be careful about things because things have a way of working on you and and working against you and in reality if you're not careful they have a way of baffling you and blinding you to the great realities of life paul was so concerned with these new testament believers and the things that they were going through that he even goes so far as to say that things have the power to separate you from the love of God. Now he doesn't say it like that. He said that neither death nor life nor things present nor things to come shall be able to separate us from the love of God. But the understood statement of Paul is that there is the power in things to try to drive a wedge into your life or to dislodge you and to come between you and God and to ultimately drive you away from the love of God. The only thing that really keeps us going is the love of God. And there is a separating power in things present. And when I, when I consider that, I, I have to stop and think about what all Paul was implying. He was indicating that present things have a way of 
blinding me to things that are distant, that are important to me. I think most of you are aware that things can get so close to you that they command your vision and they affect your perception of life. How many of you have not done it as a child, perhaps even as an adult, but you can take a little dime. I don't have one on me. I'm poor tonight, but you can take a dime and you get it close enough to your eye and you can block out everybody in this room. That's a present thing. And that's what Paul was trying to help the Roman understand that things can get so close to you and they're so personal that they block out the picture that God wants you to keep in your mind. And they can, by blocking out, actually begin to drive a wedge between you and the very love of God that's trying to save you. And they have a way of causing you to feel distant from God. Things can be blocked out of our life and make us feel that God will never understand what we're going through. And in our busy, crowded lives where present things seem to tyrannize us, we all need moments when we can withdraw from that problem for a little better perspective of what's going on. You can be so close to the forest that you cannot see the trees. You become so absorbed in your problem that that's all that you see is your problem. You never see the possibilities and potentials. This is what I have learned about God, is that every door is an opportunity, and some doors are labeled trouble. God's promise to his people of old was that I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. The word Achor literally means trouble, but if you go back and trace the history, the history of that place was that back in the book of Judges and Joshua, Israel suffered one of their most embarrassing defeats in that place. And God takes them back to that place where they were so embarrassed. And he said that place can become a doorway in your life to bring you into greater things and closer to me and to know more of my power. So present things have a way of working on our vision and the nearness of those problems, we can become so absorbed in them that we forget some very important things. And ever so often in the midst of your trouble, you need to stop and repeat three things to yourself. Will you do this? Will you promise me that if you don't hear anything else I say tonight, you'll remember these three things? Every one of us in this building tonight, at some point in our life, when we're in the midst of trouble and we are fighting 
and battling for everything that it's worth. Somehow we have to we have to step back, if nothing more, in our spirit and say these three things to ourselves. Number one, God loves me. Everybody say, God loves me. Come on. God loves me. You need to say that to yourself. Because nobody else is going to tell you that. The world is going to tell you all the people that hate you. But sometimes you have to remind yourself that God loves me. Number two. You need to be able to say to yourself, not only does God love me, but God is here right now. Even though because of my present situations I cannot see him, does not mean he is not here. He is here right now. Somebody say he's here right now. In my trouble. In my problems, he's here. The third thing you need to say to yourself is that God knows. He knows what I'm going through. He knows what I'm dealing with. And he knows what it's going to take to get me through it. Three things that you ought to do ever so often in the midst of your trouble is just remind yourself God loves me, God is here, and God knows. Amen. To take the present things from the eyes for just a moment and see the wonder of his glory is important to all of us because what absorbs our attention and what we give our faith to and our life to can affect our future. The secret of the saints of the ages has been the ability in moments of crisis to still see their Christ. Amen. Present things not only have a way of blinding you to what is in the distance or what is not close at hand, it also has the ability to make life so difficult to understand. They, you know, I'm not really that old of a man, but I have lived long enough to know that it's easier to understand what happened yesterday than to understand what's going on right now. When I'm in the midst of it, it's hard to understand it. It's hard to know how any good could come out. It's hard to know how anything uplifting. But when I look back and I see how God worked those things out, how many of us, in our past, have already gone through some impossible situations. Now, am I just seeing things? Is this your ghost or is this you that's sitting here? So if he got you through that, don't you think he still knows how to get you through this? But present things have a way of blinding you to that It's hard for me to understand the moment. Amen. Present things have a tendency to distract us, to cause us to lose our focus and to lose what really matters. 
families and lives are destroyed because we lose sight of what matters. Futures are destroyed because we lose sight of what really matters. Jeopardized by present things. Everybody say that with me. Present things. The little things of life, the annoyances, the sand in our shoes. What things escape us in our unending busyness of life, the peace and the joy and the contentment because we are just so preoccupied with things. I read somewhere of a sea captain who was complaining as to why the lighthouse light was not on. And he made his vehement anger known to those that were around him. And finally he got word through to the lighthouse and word came back that the lighthouse was burning. But it had been blocked out by a horde of flies that had come up from the sea and had blotted out that lighthouse. I wonder how many hordes of flies we're dealing with tonight that have blocked out the light of the morning. What is blocking our vision tonight of what God has for us? And so I said all that to say this. This question that Paul raised here in Romans chapter 8 is a question that every one of us need to ask every morning that we rise to face life. And that question is, what shall we say to these things? The things that baffle us, the things that blind us, the things that happen to us in life, we have some kind of response that we make toward them, whether consciously or unconsciously. We are responding in some way to what's happening. Somebody said, no, I'm not. I'm just ignoring it. You're responding to it. Somebody say, well, I didn't answer them. You responded. Your silence is just as much a response or you're ignoring it or you putting your finger in your ear and going, la, 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 la. It doesn't make any difference. That is a response to what's going on in your life. And Paul said that you as a child of God have a choice as to how you respond to these things. And you have to stop and ask yourself, how shall we respond to these things? We take up an attitude toward them. And some of them we resent, and some of them we resist, and some of them depress us, but whatever the answer, we respond in some way. And things have a way of affecting us and our minds so much that we will then make decisions and choices that are based upon that 
impression. Amen. The effect of these things on our mind is so important. How we meet them and what we have to say to these things is critical. It is probably the most important question of the day. What shall we say to these things? Say it with me. What shall we say to these things? Because the effect that these things have on us and the attitude that we take toward them will decide whether we win or lose, whether we overcome or we are overcome. The real difference, listen to me, do you know the real difference between people are not their problems? That, that, that's a myth that I need to, I, I want to I knock it down and I want to beat it to a pulp tonight. Because there are some of us sitting on these pews tonight that think that our problem is unique to us. And nobody else knows what we're going through. Nobody knows what we're dealing with. Nobody knows the attitudes and spirits that we fight every day. Nobody knows what we have to go home to or rise up to. Nobody knows all the other issues that come up in the day of life. Nobody. And so we are of the opinion that my problems are different than everybody else's. And so when the preacher preaches, we get our shovel out. And we say, oh, that'll help them. Oh, that'll help. I hope they're listening. Sometimes it's like you want to stand up in church and turn around and just point at them. And all of that comes because we are of the opinion that the reason they're smiling and we're not because they don't have our problems. If they had our problems, they wouldn't be smiling. If they had to live with what we've got to live with, They'd be mad too. Anybody remember Mad Eddie? <laughs> this is a flash out of the past. Anybody remember that guy that ran for governor? Mad, they called him Mad Eddie. Whatever happened to him? What, whatever happened to Ross Perot? Anybody know? That little guy that had his charts out. I, I don't know where that came from, but there's a lot of people in life that feel like that their problems are so unique that if Anybody, anybody had their problem, they'd be just as discouraged as, as they are. But you know what I've learned? That one man put in prison unjustly will pine away in bitterness and another one will sing at midnight. Do you know that, and I preached about this the other night, those prison walls had heard just about everything that you could hear. They heard every four-letter word, every foul thing, every curse, every ugly, every deceitful, every lie. I mean, what prisoner has ever gone to prison that was guilty? I've never met any so far. I've never met any of them that said, I'm here because I did this. They're all, every one of them I've ever talked to. I, I, let me refer. All that I'm aware of, None of them seem to feel like they're there on, on purpose. They're there because of something they actually did. 
Those prison walls have heard everything but that one thing that they heard that night. And that was a man and his companion singing. What's the difference? The difference is what you say to these things. You see, one who is suffering will tell you how unjust the world is and how unjust their suffering is. And another will tell you of the revelations and the comfort that they have found from God in the midst of their adversity. You see, the real difference between people is not problem. The real difference is perspective. It's what you choose to say to these things. I don't know what these things are for you, but you need to get those things in mind right now. And you need to make up your mind what your response to those things are going to be. Because you have a choice. You're not a victim of circumstances. You're not pushed into something that, that, that's, that, that's totally out of your control. You have a choice, even in the midst of your adversity. You see, it's not what happens to me. Whether they are blessed or whether they are not a blessing are not determined by the weightiness of the problem but by the things that I say of them. The writer said, I will say of my soul, be thou encouraged, be thou lifted up. Somewhere in David's life, he found even he had to find a place to encourage himself because nobody else was there to do it. You know, it's great when you have everybody cheering for you and saying, oh, come on, you got it, you can make it. But you know what? There's times in life when you've got to do it on your own. You've just got to step up to the plate and say, you know what? Whatever it is, this thing that I'm dealing with right now, I have a say in what it does and how it affects my life. And whether this thing is a blessing or a curse, will have all to do with what I say about it. Whether it's fortunate or unfortunate. Do you know I read something the other day that all billionaires have in common? There were five things that they had found out that all billionaires have in common. You know what they were? You don't really want to know. One of them was they live more frugally than a person who doesn't have money. They named off some of the things. Uh, 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 what Warren Buffett still drives an old beat-down Buick, I think. They said that uh, what? What's the kid with Google? Not was it? Is it Google? No, not Google. Facebook. He drives a Volkswagen Passat. Doesn't live in some extravagant, that, that was just one. But one thing that all billionaires have in common is failure. And not one time, but multiple times failure. 
You're not going to succeed in life without going down every once in a while. And instead of flailing on the ground, flopping around like some fish out of water, saying, oh, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. You need to roll over and say, you know what, I found out that doesn't work. And get back up and get in the race and find a way to get through because your life is not determined by things. Your life is determined by what you say to those things. Mm -mm. It's perspective. It's about what you say. It all depends on the response that I make to what meets me in life. And that folks, is in my hands. There's a lot of things that are not in my control. There are a lot of things that I don't have any way of affecting in some realm. But what I do have control over is what I say to them. Amen. We are not so wise sometimes when we get accustomed to responding to things in an automatic reflex. You ever been around somebody that answers you before you finish asking the question? All the time? (laughs) Oh, my Lord. Did I open up a can of worms here? You don't even have all the words. You don't even, they don't even know where you're going, but they're already answering you. How many other of those automatic reflexes do we have that when something happens in life, the first thing we do is, come on, you want to fight? And we take on this posture That the world is out to get us. And everybody hates us. And nobody understands. (laughs) I don't know what you came for on Wednesday night, but this is what you're going to get. If you want something better, come back Sunday. There'll be somebody else preaching maybe then. But tonight, God sent me to tell somebody in this building that your automatic response... I'm going to get really personal right now. A husband says this and a wife responds that way. It's just automatic. A wife says it, husband, I mean, it's just automatic. You know what happens when you get automatic responses working in your life? Is you block yourself from the possibility that there might be another answer than your puny little brain thinks. And I don't want to burst anybody's bubble here tonight. And I don't want to make you feel bad. But you don't know everything there is to know about life. You don't even know everything you need to know about the problem right now. So quit automatically responding that when something happens, it's going to get this response. This happens, this is going to show up. Maybe it's time that you knock that spirit down and say, oh, not this time. Because you have blocked my vision, you have deafened my ears, and you have stopped me from reaching my potential long enough. It's time to beat down some automatic responses that are destroying our future 
because we are blinded by present things. And look and see if there might not be a better way to respond to this than the way I've been responding. I've always said this, and I'll probably keep saying it. People shoot themselves in the foot, and then they wonder why their foot hurts. I mean, they, the bed was on fire when they got in it. And they wonder why they're so, they're hurting so much. Why is life so hot? You see, it never occurs to some people that there may be a better way than the way I've been taking. And so we respond in an automatic response. You know what? Some of you need to fight that down. You you need to battle that down. Because I'm not beating the air. There's a lot of us here tonight that have some automatic responses to things in our life that we need to beat down because those automatic responses are the root of the problems that are ongoing in our life. It's not the problem. It's my response to the problem. And Paul's trying to help his people understand and us understand that you have a say in this. It's not just you just have to sit back and take it and say, well, you know, this is life and it's the way it is. That's what I am. That's what I'm married. That's what I've gotten into. The truth of the matter is I still have a say. Amen. Some say that it's the will of God. And they just submit to it. And they, you know what? I have learned this much. I, I'm not real smart. I, I'm, and I'm not, I'm not the sharpest pencil in the little holder there. But this is what I figured out about life. When people start throwing that will of God trump card out at me, you know what I really believe they're trying to say? They're trying to blame God. If they can put it all off on God, they don't have any accountability in it. They don't have any responsibility in it. Well, you know, it was the will of God. God didn't have one thing to do with me pulling into Safeway or Kroger or Walmart. I pulled into Walmart. But I'm going to blame it on the will of God. It's like that guy that went by, he, he was trying to go on a diet. And the word, he, his greatest weakness was the donut shop. And he comes by it on the way to church. And he said, I'm not going to do it. He said, well, I'll tell you what, God. I'll just go around it one time. And, and if there's not a parking place, I'll take it as the will of God and I'll go on. About the 26th time he found the will of God. It must be the will of God for me to have a donut this morning. Hey, quit blaming God for decisions that you make and choices that you make and trying to cop out and blame God for something that you initiated. 
you know what? I can't blame God for my problems because God said I'm not the author of confusion. I'm not the author of those bad things. But I can tell you this, that if you'll walk with me and you'll work with me and you'll look to me, I can take everything that happens to you and make it work for your good. I can make something good come out of this mess. But it all depends on what you Say to these things. Amen. Mm, I didn't mean to stay that long on that. If you let God come into all the things that are happening to you right now, you will not be defeated. He will bring good out of it. So the worthwhile question to ask every day and to get in the habit of saying all through the day, is what shall we say to these things? What shall we say today to sorrow that has invaded our home or our life? What do we say to sorrow? What what do we say to setbacks? What, What do we say to disappointments that dashed our hopes? What do we say to doors that close before us? What do we say to opportunities that pass us by? Things that we long for and things that we wanted so desperately. What do we say to disagreeable tasks? What do we say to the hurts of life? What do we say to the injuries that come in life? You see, the devil is working, certainly. We know that. I understand that. But I love what Jesus said about, he said, this is his hour. The power of darkness. And he has come, but he has found nothing in me. He said the devil didn't even exempt me from coming by and trying to see if there was a little wedge or if there was a crack in the door or there was a window that was partially open so that he could get in and connect with me. He said he has looked me over and he hasn't found one place that he can slip into my life and partner with me in anything. What do we say to the difficulties of the hour? What do we say to the future that looks bleak? What do we say to the irritations of life? What do we say to those things that confuse us and confound us? Well, what did Paul say? This is what you have to speak over every problem, over every trouble, over every adversity. If God be for us. Who can be against us? 
I need to speak that over every trouble. I need to speak that over every setback because I've learned this much. If you will let God, a setback can become a setup for something better. Do you know what I've learned about living for God? That he has never taken me backward. That he didn't eventually take me forward. And when he took me forward, he always took me further than I was before. And further than I could have gotten on my own. That when doors close in my life, instead of me standing before and going, that's not right, that's not fair, open says me. I'm going to bum Phillips that door. I'm going to kick that door down. You know what? If God closes a door, that simply means that another one is about to open. Because God is not a God of closed doors. He is a God of opportunity. He is a God of privilege and possibility. When difficulties come to my life, instead of me wondering why they came, what am I going to say to these things if God be for me? The truth is, nothing is really against you as a child of God. Do you understand that tonight? I, some of you eyes are getting a little heavy. Come on, get the toothpicks out for a little while. I'm not that boring, am I? Come on, open up your eyes and listen to me. There is nothing that is really against you if you're a child of God. Nothing. You said, Brother Hughes, no, I'm telling you this is against me. No, it's impossible. If God is for you, what can be against you? There is nothing that is against you if you walk as a child of God because God is going to take whatever the devil intended to be against you and make it work for you. Don't you know that's got to frustrate the devil? He got, I can, my mind's going crazy. I, I can see the devil around his big powwow table in the netherworld of hell. He got all of his imps and he said, all right, our target today is going to be Mark Hughes. All right, we've studied him. We know what his weaknesses are, not because the devil is omniscient, but because I've showed him. I showed him by my actions and my choices. He knows, so he, he hatches this scheme and this plan. And they get through and they go, oh, this is going to get him. This is going to bring him down. And so they set that plan in motion. But before it ever gets to me, God's hand intercepts it. And he starts doing his work on it. And then he releases it and he lets it go on its way. So when it comes into my life, instead of having the potential to destroy me, it has the potential to develop me. It has the potential to make me grow. So nothing is really against me as a child of God. Nothing is against me. As a, you don't even understand what I'm saying right now. I'm just telling you. Some of you are looking at me like, duh, what are you saying, Brother Hughes? I'm saying the truth is nothing 
is against you if God is for you. He refused to let anything degrade that spirit of faith. He refused to let anything hurt him because God was for him. Everything in this clash of circumstances had a possibility for good for his life. And so you know what this does? This kind of faith robs everything of its bad power. (laughs) That's not a good way to say it, but it robs, let me rephrase it. When you have that kind of faith, everything bad is robbed of its power. This faith will begin to produce in you a new capacity for meeting life. Courage, kindness, patience, long-suffering. God knows some of us need that. You see, difficulty is the, is the doorway to discovery. Somebody said of Napoleon that he was the most unique military leader that ever, ever lived simply because he had the ability to refuse misfortune. One day in battle, it had not gone well for them, and all of their efforts had been snuffed out by the enemy until his very officers that surrounded him were nearly in despair and a panic. And it was then that he pulled them out of this battle, and he said, Gentlemen, it is now 2 o'clock. We have lost one battle. There is still time to win another victory. That's what Paul was talking about when he said, what shall we say to these things? Sometimes you have to look at the clock and say, you know what? Misery, you have been here long enough. Hurt, you have been here long enough. Hatred, you have been here long enough. Anger, you have been here long enough. Jealousy, you have been here long enough. There's still time to win a victory. Amen. We are not victims of misfortune. We are more than conquerors through him. Amen. And I'm closing. What gives... What, what God gives for those who seek Him is something that some of us need so desperately tonight, and that is simply courage. Courage to carry sorrow until it turns into joy. Courage to not think about ourselves and keep serving. Courage to resist our own nature to cry out for pity and instead give praise. Courage to just endure. Amen. Endure. Everybody say endure. That's one of those ugly words. That means you just stick with it. Amen. Stay with it. Masters of fate, not mastered by fate. That was Paul's message to the church. 
It's not what life does to me, but what we choose to do with life that makes for victory or defeat. And more often than not, my daily life is determined by what I say to these things. Let's stand.